If you uh, have a Bible, open it to the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and the guys will bring you a, a copy that you're welcome to take with you. If you get a Bible from us, it's page 612, 612. We are, uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan, uh, you're familiar with the Summer of George. This was to be the Summer of Tom, uh, the way things were all set up. This was going to be the ultimate summer for Susan and I to be away a bunch. And, uh, and we're supposed to be out of town right now. We're supposed to be in Flagstaff, as a matter of fact, but we didn't. Susan has some problems. They're non-cancer problems, but we ended up staying in town. And we still, those of you that followed the saga, uh, we are in our 10th day with no air conditioning in the house. But that's okay. If it was warm, it would matter, but it's not bad. So, so we, we, we moved out finally. We've got a part supposed to be done today. So we're looking, we're looking forward to that. But since I was in town, I said, if I'm going to be in town, I'm going to teach, even though I wasn't scheduled to, because I want credit. I'm going to build up like frequent teaching miles so that, so that when it gets to fall, I'm not going to be here if I can work it out. But, so we're going to be here. I'll be, and, and lots of times, amazing, people call the switchboard to ask who's teaching where. I'll be teaching here for at least the next, this week and at least the next two weeks. And in August, Every other week is my schedule. So actually, as this turns out, we'll be in town more this summer than any summer that we've had. So we make plans. God knows what he's doing. So pray for Susan. She's in a lot of pain. We're dealing with it. And uh, you all ask. That's why I tell you uh, there's nothing you can do beyond pray for. But she's just in a lot of pain. And the doctor's answer is we don't know. So and we know it's not a can. At least it doesn't look like it's cancer related. So, just a bunch of those issues. We're like you, we're like everybody else. We have same issues. So I'm here because I love you. Yeah. But it's a one-way thing. I feel like a jilted lover. I feel like I asked you to ask you to prom, and you said no to me. But here I am. So, so I, I am really. I said this. I said this every week. I'm really getting into this series, and I, and and I was okay with it when we started, but every week more and more, I, I just really enjoy this opportunity to kind of work in a way that's, that's sequential and logical through the scriptures. Uh, it's all flowing out of the scripture. I, had, I found something, and I, and I put it in the lesson today from Jim Boyce that I want to use kind of at the end that, that was, I found to really be fascinating. This is week eight of this series, uh, and the topics you have in the circle, starting clockwise, kind of at one o'clock on your, on your bulletin. And uh, if you're following along in the book that Driscoll's written called Doctrine, you know where we are. We're on the cross. Uh, if, if not, uh, we have some copies left. We've sold over a thousand copies of that book. And that's, that's just great. That's how many people are tracking along with us on video, study guides, so it's really good. But within this eight weeks, we said there's like a little mini-series in here of three weeks on the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection. Now, we're drawing some hard lines in each one of them, but you'll see them overlap. You can't just, the, none of them are necessarily standalones, though we're doing them that way. They just come together. So, so that's what we're looking at. And, and, and so if you're here today, I'm, I'm really excited for those of you who are here visiting, uh, especially if the whole Christian thing is new to you, I'm very excited if you're a religious person, 
or maybe you're a part of a denomination or you've just always been a church girl or a church guy and, and yet you, you, you may have never come to Christ in repentance and faith, may never have really understood the cross. I'm very excited about that. You may have come and we get this. We, we had a meeting the other day where we were talking. We we're saying it just all these people. Now, many of you look familiar, but it is, it is amazing how many of you just... You just, it's, you're all just new. There's just so many new people. And what we find oftentimes is that, that not only are you new to Redemption Church, you're new to this whole idea. So you came in at a great time. If you could pick one Sunday out of the 20-year history of Redemption Church, East Valley, then Redemption to be here, you pick the right one. This is the one. Because if you get today right, everything else falls into place. You miss today, the, the rest of life isn't going to matter much. So, so, how's this? How's this for hyping a thing? I, I, like, I like to under, you know, under-promise and over-perform. But, but, but that's not what we're doing today. That, and, and I'm very confident in it because it's not from me. It's, it's, from, it's from the Word, and it's true. So I spend some time, I just want to make sure you get it. So you come in today and you're thinking, okay, maybe I got a problem and my problem is I, I like sex too much or I like drugs too much or I drink too much or I'm too greedy or I lie uh, or I'm jealous. All of those are symptoms of a deeper problem and that problem is sin. So also today, you'll find terms and phrases that we use. I, I, I told Neil this morning and Tim, I said, this just feels like the same stuff. And the reality is it, it, it is the same stuff because it's the heart of the gospel. It's the cross. You know, if you're, if you're in the conference center, you've already had your time of, of music worship and, and, and communion. Here you will have it. And, it, and these songs today, if, if you're listening closely, if you sing these songs today, I, honestly, it, it will just, it will be an amazing day for you. As, as you really literally kind of begin to feel God's grace and mercy just wash all over you. So we're in Romans chapter 5. Where Paul says in verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in my Bible, I have circled the number of verses 6, 8, and 10. And it's because about once a month we land here for this reminder. For while we were still helpless, verse 6, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus. So while we were helpless, verse 6. While we were sinners, verse 8. While we were enemies, verse 10. That's the condition we're in naturally. That's what we've talked about. We talked about this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that everything starts to flow from that. And then we see God's story. We see this idea of creation. We saw, and I taught that week, that, that man, we're made in the, in the image of God. It's not that we're little gods. There are attributes that God has that have been communicated to us that, that we imperfectly represent them, like love, for example. But in the garden, when Adam sinned, he shattered that image 
so that all of us, not just some of us, look at chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, and now death through sin, how do we know that sin is universal? We all die. And, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So, so that's the theme that we see over and over and over again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right in front of you, chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Death means separation. So we see it all around us. I, um, about, I don't know how long ago, my daughter came to me and said, you need to be on Facebook. And I said, why in the world would I want to be on Facebook? She said, well, you just need to be, just because of, of the position you're in, you need to be. Yeah, and then so somebody came along and said, you need to, you need to tweet. And I said, really? Because I've seen some of these tweets. I'm dropping my kids off at school. And I want to write back, who possibly cares? I mean, I can, I'm at the mall. So what? I mean, if you have a heart attack or something, you know, tweet. I got a heart attack. All right, I need to know that maybe. So, so I get all these friends. I mean, I'm now friends with, with 800 people I don't even know. I mean, that seems weird. And so I get all this stuff. Oh, my gosh. So I just kind of, you know, I read it all, and I'll try to answer some. But I don't go on there hardly ever. Well, I went on the other day, and I got it. It was a guy, that, a young man that used to go here and was a good guy. And, and he said, I'm sure you get a lot of these. You've probably seen this. You talk all the time about the sinfulness of man and how we're born as a sinner and and, and how just from the very beginning, you never have to teach your kids to, 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 to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. You never have to teach them to steal. You have to teach them this. And he said, I'm sure you've seen this video. Well, I hadn't. So I, I showed it to Susan. I said, because I liked it. My gut was to show it in here on Sunday. But periodically, my instincts aren't perfect. So I said, so I said, so I said to Susan, I said, I want to show this tomorrow. This is yesterday. Do you think it's all right to show it? She said, Sarah will like it. So that's my daughter, Sarah. She was here first hour. I forgot to ask. I think she did. But it, the illustrate is to illustrate the sinfulness of man. So I want you to watch the person in the video repeatedly told not to do something, and every time do it. Okay, and watch. This happens to be a little person. Watch this little person's, especially when given a choice of, of two things to drink from and told no. Watch the look on this little person's face as she pursues sin, okay? So I, I, I think you can get the, the guys did a great job. I sent it to him last, yesterday afternoon, said, can you get this up for tomorrow? So take a look at this, reminding all of us of sin, the sinfulness of man. So just take a look at this. This is Daddy's cell phone. No touchy. Finley's cell phone. You can have. Look, Finley, never touch an outlet. Don't look at it. Look, never touch. No. No. Okay? Alright, Finley. Yes, yours. No. 
bad. Good. If we don't, we're gonna blow a fifth to amp fuse. Sing it to the That's not yours. This is yours. No offense. Bad girl. This is yours. You can put it this one. That's safe. perfect representative of you. That was the whole point and that whole equation. About 80 years ago, uh, the state of Minnesota was facing some crime issues. So the governor formed what was called the Minnesota Crime Commission and asked to give them some sort of, some sort of evidence, some sort of conclusion, what they saw. Here's what they reported back. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, whatever. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty, has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign, their impulsive actions would be to satisfy what they want. Every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. So, that, have a nice day. I mean, I don't, man, it's kind of what you, I don't know what fits at the end of that. But I, I did this last week, which I thought was, was borderline brilliant. And that was to go to USA Today and to illustrate sin from the sports section. But this is just USA Today. These are headlines. Uh, number one is the Norway. So you got the 92 people dead in Norway. Uh, then you have, um, this will make me sad, but we won't talk about it, uh, debt reduction. We won't talk. While we're, just so you, while we're in here in this worship service, the United States of America will rack up, not spending, debt of about $350 million, just while we're in service. Uh, seven wounded in casino shooting near Seattle. Uh, Amy Winehouse dies, drugs. Uh, six, eight killed in a, in a car bomb in Yemen. Nine reported wounded in Florida house party fight. And it just goes on, and there's only like maybe a dozen headlines in here. It's all around us. The, 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 
prevailing problem in the country and all around is sin. We talk about this all the time. And it manifests itself in so many different ways. I was talking because I, I spent a lot of time, I spent probably a dozen hours this week with physicians, hospitals, you know, scans, whatever it was. And in the conversation of it, I had a great conversation with a doctor that I really enjoy. Come to really enjoy dealing with her. And, and we're just talking about the system. And she said, it's so out of control. It's so broken. And, and then we started to line list it. And then in reality, what she then described was sin at every level. Sin among the physicians. Sin among the patients. Sin among the insurance companies. It's just all sin. And some of it is, you know, I mean, we're taking x-rays of x-rays, and it goes on and on and on. And, and, and part of it is everybody covering themselves, probably greed. But it's not just medical. I'm just, I'm singling that out. The housing crisis is a great example. Greed on lender's part, greed on borrower's part. The illusion that everybody should have a house. How can you have a house that you can't afford? And then we're going to jimmy. It just goes on and on and on. And you know it. Retail cost 10 to 12% is employee theft. So you, you know all that. It's all sin. So we talk about sin and the expense. It's just expensive in human terms, but it's expensive ultimately for our salvation. So we have a, we have a huge problem. And our, and our problem, again, the symptoms are many, but the cause of it is our sin. So for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wage of sin is death. Romans 5 or 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So last week we talked about the incarnation. And, and, and we said Jesus, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son submits to the Father and comes to earth for a specific reason. To save his people from their sin. He's come down, Luke 1.68, to redeem his people. Jesus himself says, John 10, 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Titus 2, 14, he gave himself for us to, to redeem us. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll look at it in a minute, he reconciled us to himself. Galatians 3, 13, he redeemed us. So I said it'll be familiar territory. This sentence should sound familiar to you. Okay? And you go back to week one, remember what we did week one? And you might have been like me. You could look at it and go, really, is this where we want to start? Yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal, triune God. One God, three separate persons. And when it comes to salvation, here's what we say. Three-word sentence, right? God saves sinners. So God is the subject, the noun, the actor. Saves is the predicate, the verb, the action, Sinners is the direct object, the recipient of the action. So God the Father, from the beginning of time, the Father elected those that he would save. The Son died on the cross. That's what we're going to look at today and redeems them. And then at some point in time in that person's life, the Holy Spirit regenerates them or applies that. God saves, and that word might be new to you or maybe so familiar that you've lost its meaning. It means to deliver or to redeem or to buy back, or to rescue. He saves us. The wage of sin is death. He saves us, redeems us, delivers us from the bondage of sin, the consequence of sin. He saves sinners. And, and, and here's what I wrote for sinners. They're people guilty before God, and they're helpless, powerless, hopeless in and of themselves, unable to do God's will. 
So that's what we looked at. That's our natural condition. It's not just Finley. It's all of us. We're enemies. We're helpless. We're, rede- we're, we're uh, 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 sinners who are separated from God. And, and we see now when man sinned, God has, and we can't stop it in space and time, but we'll deal with it as though we could, that at that moment, man's separated from God, and there's nothing man can do in and of himself or herself to reverse this situation. Because sin demands payment. So a lot of what we talk about today just isn't very popular anymore. It's not even something that even when you say it, you you kind of put about a a thousand disclaimers on it because you just don't hear it much. But God is a God who hates. We hear a lot about God's love. God, love, 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 love. God is a God of love, but God hates, for example, he hates sin. And he's a holy God, and he's a just God, and he's a righteous God. So when Adam sins, and we, all of us, are plunged into that situation, separated from God, there has to be a payment for that sin. God is also not just a loving God, he's a just God. So you'll hear it all, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Well, how can a just God let someone into heaven for a sin that hasn't been paid for? You can't just edit God. You can't just talk about his love or just talk about his justice. We can talk about his justice, 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 and we forget his love. So we're going to talk about the cross today, bloody, messy. And yet it's a great picture of love and grace and mercy. So God could have said this, because man's incapable of saving himself. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing we can do. We have symptoms. We talked about it when we started out. We have symptoms in our life. We sin. We know something's wrong. And and so we say, well, I'm going to quit doing that or start doing this. But after a while, we fail. Or even if we succeed, our sacrifice is imperfect. So I was in a small group years ago that got in a discussion over this, ultimately broke up over this. Could God have saved man any other possible way than through Jesus. So there was a group of people that said, yes, he's God. He can simply say, you're forgiven. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can just say, forgiven. Then there was another group of people, the one I was in, the right group of people, that, 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 that said, no. No, that's why I get That's what Jesus prayed the night before he died. Father, if there's any other way, now's a good time to pull the chute for plan B. Now, but, but there isn't another way, because sacrifice has to be made. And any sacrifice we make, any act we perform on our own, is tainted with our sin. So there has to be the perfect sacrifice. The only solution is for somehow that God to become human and to remain God simultaneously. See how this builds? That's exactly what we looked at last week. If you have a Bible from us, it's page 627. If you have your own Bible, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a passage that we will talk about more because we're going to talk about the resurrection, then we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about, okay, what does all this stuff mean? So, so let's, let's kind of put something really, you know, in there that we know, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. So we know that phrase, in Christ, means to believe in him, to trust in him, to to understand who he is. 
So let's talk about what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean to join a certain church. It doesn't mean to act in a certain way. It, it, it's not what we do. It's what we believe. So a Christian is somebody who understands that they're lost. We are who God says we are. Jesus is who God says he is. And he's accomplished what God said he came to do, which is to save his people from their sin. So any, and what we're talking about now is grace and mercy. And any time you talk about grace, religious man pushes back. We, we were in a, a pastor's discussion or something here on campus, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago. And we we're talking about getting better at preaching. And, and I said, you know, we can study, we do a bunch of things, but, but the only way to get better at it is to do it. That's true of almost everything, I would assume. The only way to get better at it is to do it. And what I did, and I did this in the old days, and, and, and to some extent now, based on circumstances, is to play a lot of away games. Go to a lot of environments that are not our environment. So here it's a pretty safe environment. You just declare the truth and stand there and chips fall where they may. But you get into some of these other situations. This is kind of tough. So when I, when I began and started to get a lot of calls, I did it. With, I won't name the church because some of you would know the church. But they decided they were going to reach their their community and their neighborhoods. So they decided to have an outreach dinner. And the whole objective of the outreach dinner is to bring in a, a, a persuasive, influential speaker, that would be me, and, and, and then have them declare the truth. And then these people who didn't know Christ would respond under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yada, yada, yada. I get there that night, okay, this church is going to infiltrate its community. There are two people, the guy who organized it and his son. So I'm thinking, wow, you know, the late arriving crowd. And, and, and so it's part of, like you say, seven, so like seven, ten, there's the three of us. So you know what I did? I figured, gosh, maybe these guys don't know the gospel. So I just did a testimony for them. Well, one, one I think it was a Sunday, I'm not sure on that, I, I was invited to go to Westchester Nursing Home, okay? So that's over there on, is it on Baseline, I think, or something? It doesn't matter. So I'm over there. Old. People are so old. Old, old, old people. Like you guys, a lot of you are old, but they're way older than you. They're old, old, old. When you check, this is the truth. When you check in, they give each person a rock to put in their pocket so they have something near them that's older than them. That's, that's what they do. It's the truth. It's what they do. I don't make it up. No, they're old. So I'm in there, and, I, and I'm, just, I'm just wailing away, wailing away, wailing away. And so apparently, if you can't hear, you assume no one else can. So the lady, so I'm explaining the gospel. And there's a lady, she's probably in the fourth or fifth row. There's probably like, I don't know, 15 people there. And she goes, it can't be that easy. I said, wow. So I explained the gospel. And she said, that's not that easy. You're young, you don't understand. Well, here, that's when I knew I had explained grace. So I'm with somebody who's very important to me, and we're talk, walking along one night, and I'm explaining the gospel, and this person said to me, wait a minute, are you telling me I could do this come-to-Jesus thing now, believe in him, and kill somebody tonight and still go to heaven? And I said, yeah. I could commit adultery and rob stores tomorrow and still go to heaven? And I said, well, Okay, we don't recommend that. Okay, that's not. A, <laughs> but well, here's what I knew. I knew I had explained grace. 
natural man wants to slide works back in there. Don't I need to do something? I must need to do something. So, so those of us who are Christians are those who believe we are who God says we are. Jesus is who he said he is. He came to do what he said he would do. And if I believe in him, not just mental assent and check a box. I know he existed. In Encyclopedia Britannica, Wikipedia, Jesus is there. That's a historic fact. But, but to believe, to put my faith and trust, so that, won't happen this way, so that if I were to die and I stand before God, he said, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer is you shouldn't based on anything I did, but you must based on what Christ did. So that person, that's what it means in verse 17 to be in Christ. He's a new creature. The old things passed away. And then he talks about this reconciliation, verse 18. All these things, all what? All this salvation, all this deliverance is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. See, he did it all. And now he gives us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then verse 20, and we'll, we'll talk about this again, all this more in a couple weeks. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Christ be reconciled to God. Verse 21. And verse 21, and, and it seems, I don't know, it seems to me like that belongs somewhere else because it doesn't seem like the close. It seems like something that should be introduced earlier, but since God wrote it, I know it's in the right place. Verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. So let me take out the, the personal pronouns. So God, the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we, those who believe, might become righteousness of him in Christ Jesus. One author writes this, this is one of the most magnificent verses in the whole Bible. It's describing, of course, that miraculous transaction that took place upon the cross when Jesus, the sinless one, the one whose life was lived righteously, without failure, without fault, without evil, who never did wrong, was made to suffer for all the sins of you and me. I don't understand it. He took our place, it said, and God agreed to it. It was something that they planned between them all of eternity. They planned between them, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God sent his son into the world to do the very thing that made him on the cross to be sin for us. It's not that Jesus sinned. He was treated and punished. He experienced the wrath of God for our sin. The author continues, we will never understand it. We will never know how much agony of heart and mind and spirit pressed upon him, how the dark horrors of hell came upon his soul on that cross. We sing a song of which the verse is, you'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. It's this great exchange. My friend Larry Wright wrote a poem. He used to write a lot of poetry. He wrote a poem called The Great Exchange. His grandson, Justin Unger, by the way, you can Google Justin Unger and probably download the song for 99 cents. Justin took those words and put it to a song. It's a wonderful song called The Great Exchange. So I'm watching MLB the other night. And they're, and they're counting down the nine worst trades in the history of Major League Baseball. Okay, so they go all the way through and you, 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 you know, whatever. How good is this trade? 
We trade our filthy rags, guilt, and sin, and bondage. We trade that for his righteousness. That is a good trade. That is a good exchange. He is treated, Jesus, on the cross... He is treated as though he were guilty. He paid the price. So we say this all the time. Every sin that's ever been committed will be paid for in one of two ways. Either by Jesus on the cross, stamp paid in full, or by the one who commits that sin on their own for all eternity, never paid in full. Those are the, those are the two options. And it has to be that way because a holy God demands payment. He's a just God. He doesn't just say, oh, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Life is tough. I understand. You just screwed up. We're, you know what? We're going to cross that one off. He can't do that. His righteousness demands payment for that. And we're never going to fully comprehend it. We're never going to fully understand it. But we know that it's true. Jesus remains sinless. That's the agony of the cross. Those of you that are reading along with us in the Driscoll book, uh, Driscoll spends a lot, I was kind of, I don't know why, I mean, there's no reason to say this, I was kind of just surprised by how much time he spent on just, just the history of crucifixion and what it is. But as you read that and then fill it in with others, you see how horrific it was. It was not something that was unusual either. It was a relatively common event. And, and, and oftentimes, like we would depict it here, if we were to take this cross, typically there, there, were, there were two separate pieces. So when Jesus carried his cross, what he actually carried is the cross bar. And, and then they, they, they literally nail these together, hammer these together, and then they drop him on. He would hang here, by the way, literally naked. He wouldn't have any clothes on. He would have been beaten. Frequently, by the way, they crucified them, and this is not uncommon, but oftentimes they would crucify them and they would hang them at eye level, not elevated like this. Because it was not just punitive, it was designed to be a deterrent. So you'd walk along and go, okay, really, I was thinking about stealing a chariot tonight, I'm rethinking my thoughts right now, because I don't want to end up like that. Rarely crucified women, if they did chauvinistic they crucified them backwards and most often did not take the bodies down to bury them most often they just ate the vultures the birds uh, the, the the dogs the wild animals would come and eat them till it was just nothing but bones and then they'd sweep those away so it was a horrific event and you know with Jesus it wasn't just the crucifixion it was the scourging that went with it we talk graphically about what that is like. If you saw the passion of the Christ, you got a sense of that. They would take those whips, those pieces of leather with bone on them and, and stone on them and glass on them, and they, and they would whip it in. It wasn't just this. They would, they would whip those into Jesus or any recipient, but in this case, Jesus. They'd whip it into him, so that they and then they'd pull down. So they literally just laid his back open. Now, here's what's so important for us. The agony of the cross wasn't that. There were thousands of people who died to death physically like Jesus did. Nails, scourged. The agony of the cross is what Paul's writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him to know no sin to be sin on our behalf. It's when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's that moment in time where he separated from the Father. 
When the wrath of God, and that's so important for us to get. And I got it's not popular, but it's true. God is angry and will judge sin. That's what Paul says at the beginning of the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18, when he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is made evident within them, evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood, so that we are without excuse. God is angry. God is wrathful. He's also a God of love. God is holy. God is just. There has to be payment. The wage of sin is death. Sin has entered the world. The wage of sin, what it earns. All I want is what I've earned. What you've earned is separation from God. And there's nothing, here's the hope, nothing you can do about it, though you keep trying. It's like me in the gym and me in a diet. Okay? I'm on my 477th diet. I've lost roughly 4,000 pounds. Okay? And, and, and yet there's just that battle. I'll be good. I, maybe, you have a, maybe you have a specific sin. Even in the midst of it, you say, okay, God, when I'm done with this, this is the last time. This is it. Done with this. Let me enjoy this. Don't kill me in the middle of it. Let me get through it, and then, God, I won't do it anymore. Well, as a Christian, we're still in that situation often where we're sinning. But we're forgiven. And I know it's hard to explain. We're forgiven. We struggle. But for the unbeliever, it's not a struggle. We enjoy it. Yet we feel sort of guilty about it. We know something's not right. And so we say, I, I'm going to make it up. I see it all the time. I teach something during the week called priority living. And so we're off we're in break right now. But I, I, I meet people all the time who will say, I'm coming to your thing. I'll run into them at Costco or at a golf course or at the, anywhere, you know, Starbucks. I come to your thing. I haven't been doing too well. I haven't seen you in a while. I need to get back to your thing. I don't care. I don't get paid on how many people go. The fewer, the better. I can get out early. I mean, I, it doesn't matter. I, I, I mean, I care. I love people. I want to do the best. But you doing my thing, that isn't it. Until my thing is your thing, and it's got to be a Jesus thing, until it's that, it doesn't matter. That's why I say, I know some of you are here today, and you're just checking off a box. See, I'm all right. Look at I endured an hour and a half of that. I got to be okay. I dropped money in the box that was around, fold and kind. I mean, I'm talking like 10 bucks. This is a big deal. And you're trying to appease God. And you can't. That's why Jesus came, lived, and died. James uh, J.I. Packer writes this. Scripture depicts all human beings as needing to atone for their sins, but lacking the power or resources for doing so. We have offended our holy creator whose nature is to hate sin and to punish it. No acceptance by or fellowship with such a God can be expected unless atonement is made. And since there is sin in even our best actions, anything we do in hopes of making amends can only increase our guilt or worsen our situation. This makes it ruinous folly to seek to establish one's righteousness for before God. It simply can't be done. 
See, that's what I want. Those, especially those of you, you're, you're the ones who Bibles are all marked up and all this. My, my fear is that you forget your sin. I have two daughters, Sarah and Haley. Sarah was born uh, three months I, Sarah was born three months before I became a Christian and about six before Susan became a Christian. And, and one of my biggest concerns with my kids is that they would never understand their sin. And my concern was if they didn't understand their sin, could they really understand the depths of the love and grace and mercy of their Savior? And so, like, I never, and, and you'll, you'll probably, you probably already think I'm an awful parent, but I never tried to lead my kids to Christ. I mean, if you can't get a four-year-old to pray a prayer, you're not going to make it in this world, trust me. But both of our girls, both about the same age, about age five, five and a half, both of them on their own, came in, both in the same situation. One night after they've gone to bed, came down and said, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And then we took that information and then kind of worked it away. What does it mean? And in all these years, though certainly we've seen sin in them, there's never been this crisis where they've walked away from their faith. And one of my concerns always was, I don't know if they understand how sinful they really are. Here you go. If you have just a little bitty sin, you just need a little bitty Savior. If you're just kind of not a very good little boy or little girl, then you don't need a big old God, do you? But see, the problem is it's a chasm, and, and it's a jump you can't make. It's a task that you are helpless and hopeless and powerless to fix. You have a huge sin problem, so you need a huge Savior. We're talking about the atonement. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. The atonement is the brain and spinal cord of Christianity. Deny substitutionary work of Jesus, and you denied all that is precious in the New Testament. I'm going to put up a slide. It's familiar to many of you. Now, when this slide goes up, if you're in the conference center, we're, you're going to lose video. You're not going to be able to see me. <laughs> Chalk that up to answered prayer. You're not going to see me, but you're going to see this slide. And it's going to be this way for a while because I'm going to talk it through it. So, so if you're in the conference center, you don't have video now. You just have audio and a picture of this slide. It's a familiar slide, and it's because when I find something that works, I just go back to it again and again and again and again. I'm not trying to fix it. It's like, to me, a golfer. You're a golfer. I remember Tom Kite was golfer of the year, and that, and that Christmas he changed his swing. Why? What are you doing? You're a tiger. What, what are we messing around with a putting stroke for? I love this, I love this box, this triangle. And, and you'll see at each of the corners, there's Jesus on the left, God the Father at the top, Christians on the right. And then you'll see three terms, propitiation, justification, and redemption. And you'll also see three arrows. Now, in every arrow, you'll see arrows coming to the Christian, but never from them. So from Jesus to the Father is this thing called propitiation. Consequently, from the Father to us is justification. And what Jesus presents to us is something called redemption. So let's tackle the big word first, propitiation. It, it, it simply is the idea of satisfying the wrath or the wrath of God. It presupposes God's angry. It presupposes what we looked at in Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 18. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23, 26. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which, Christ Je- which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as our propitiation by his blood. In uh, 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sin. He satisfies the wrath of God. Chapter 4, still in 1 John, verse 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. When Christ died on the cross and he said, it is finished, what he's saying is, I came. Why did he come? We saw it last week. To save his people from their sin. He satisfied the wrath of God. Consequently, God declares us just. God, through or Christ, has redeemed us. Redeem means to, to, to loosen. It's, it's uh, an idea that, that is expressed in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served, to give his life a, a ransom for many. It's the idea of releasing or to set free. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, 1, the freedom of Christ has set us free. We've been redeemed. So if you watch Pawn Stars, or you watch that, kind of depicts what goes on in a pawn shop. In that, almost always they'll say, Are, you want to pawn it or sell it? It's like everybody wants to sell it. If I want to pawn something, what happens is I bring in this item. Let's use Jed's guitar. Let's not tell Jed we did it, though. And so I come into the pawn shop, okay, and Rick says, you want to pawn it or sell it? I say, I'm going to pawn it. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to take the guitar. He's going to put it in the back with my name on it. He's going to give me 30, 60 days. And if I come back, that doesn't look right. If I come back, if I come back, what I do is I pay him kind of an interest. And I come back and I have this ticket and I, what? Redeem the item. I loosen it. So we've been redeemed, and consequently, God declares us just. It's a legal term. It's a pronouncement that, that concerning our relationship with God, stating that we are completely forgiven and no longer liable for punishment. God deserves justice, and he gets it. He doesn't just overlook our sin. He pours out his wrath. He owes us nothing but gives us everything. In his book, Driscoll writes this, not only did Jesus take our sin, past, present, and future on the cross, but he also gave us his perfect righteousness as a faultless, sinless person. That is why Paul says that Jesus alone is our righteousness. Therefore, justification through the work of Jesus in our place for our sin on the cross is the only possible, I'm sorry, only possible by grace from Jesus Christ alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, because of Jesus Christ alone. So salvation is entirely, utterly, completely a work of God where he demonstrates his justice and his love. Jesus remains sinless but pays the price for our sin. Consequently, he is just and justifier and we are declared righteous. Here's the big deal. And there is no other way. 
the result of that, I, I'm going to take about 10 minutes here. Look, look, at the, look at the result of this. You're in, we're in, I don't even know where you are. I'm going to Ephesians. If you're in 2 Corinthians, two books to the right. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to look at the result of this, and I want to, want to talk about one aspect and make sure we don't overlook this. Ephesians chapter 2. So here's this played out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. For you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, uh, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, this is good. This is your, this is your history. This is your biography. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So that's us. We're all Finley coming in the world. We're all little sinners. We grow up to be big sinners. Our sin has separated us from God. That's my problem. That's your problem. That's what you were. Verse 4, but God, being, grace and mer- being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. That's the whole idea of what happens on the cross. I was dead, now I'm alive. This great exchange, he trades his righteousness, punishment for our sin. Now, here's what I don't want to get lost on this. And when I was trying to figure out my cadence in putting this together, and and it could have probably gone a little bit longer, and so I want to touch against it, but it's a big point and probably should be bigger. We just don't have time. Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. In the midst of the blood and gore, crucifixion and all that goes with it, don't lose sight of the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what's happening here. It's a picture of his great love. Remember I said at the beginning, I found something in Boyce, and I love this. And this just goes to show you, like I do feel like we're saying the same thing every week. This just goes to show you, this is just the way it is. So this is Boyce, now independent. This is Boyce writing, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, independent of what we're following in Driscoll and the little sequence we've been in. Boyce writes this, although God's love is indeed important and great, we cannot really understand or appreciate it in our fallen state until we know some of the other things about him and about ourselves. These things must necessarily be in something like a sequence. Now see if this doesn't track where we've been. First, our creation in the image of God, what we were talking about. Second, the fall, our sin. Third, the revelation of the wrath of God because of our sin. And fourth, redemption. If we don't have the sequence firmly in mind, we're unable to appreciate, let alone marvel, at God's love with which he loves us. That's the sequence. If I just started the cross, if I just come, like I watch a lot, I listen to a lot, and I listen to a lot of Christian television, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but frequently Christian television, listen to people. And, and, and I, watched, I watched somebody teaching last night, and, and they, were, they were in the middle of, of promoing, they were selling a, I don't know, film or something. And they, five times they said positive. Said to Susan, I guess positive. This is a positive message about a positive. You know what? We got to get the bad news before the good news makes any sense. The, the gospel is good news. 
You're telling me the blood, the guts, the gore, all this, that's good news? Yep, because without it, you're separated from him with no hope. That's what I'm saying. If you're here, I really hope two things. One, if you're a Christian, I want you to go back and remember how bad, how sinful, how lost you were, how desperately you needed a Savior. But maybe you're here again and you're going, I just got a few little chinks in my armor. I just, leave, I just need to knock out a few dents. No, no, no. You're a total disaster. You have no hope. But God in his love, and I see it in a sequence. He made me in his image. See how that is? That's what we've been tracking in these last six or seven or eight weeks. We're made in God's image. We sin. We shatter the image. God, a holy God, demands justice and righteousness. And God redeems us, his people. That's really good news. It's, it's about his love poured out in fullness on the cross. Let me read you four passages of Scripture. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. And the idea of the so love there is the normity of his love. It's an eternal love. It's what Paul talks about in the book of Romans. When he gets at the very end of chapter 8, he says, what can separate us from Christ's love for us? And then he lists everything, heights, death, angels, demons. So he's saying those things against us can't beat us, those things that seem to be for us, no created thing, which is anything other than God, including yourself, none of them can separate us from the love that he has for us. When the girls were small and I wanted to get their attention, I would pick him up and I would hold him out just like this. And, and I would always say it has to be very effective and it must, it must feel really helpless. Your, your feet are just kind of hanging there and you're just hanging there. And, and I think of, of God in a way holding me like that and I'm just flapping and there's nothing I can do. And I can't make it right. But Christ does. Because God loves me. What can separate us as believers from that? Nothing. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the love that's, that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 4.10, we read it earlier, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, to satisfy God's wrath for our sin. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and set us free from sin by his blood. That's the story of the cross. The story of the cross includes that agony and the gruesomeness and all that, but the whole cause of it, the whole point of it, is, is I, the cause is our sin and the point is, is God redeeming his people. So, so again, two, two things. If you're here today, and, and as we've talked about what it means to be a Christian, if you'd say, that's me, then I hope you understand the grace and the mercy and the love that God has for you. Sometimes we, we in the midst of all of the wrath of God, we can miss this love. God loves you with a perfect love. And so you look back and you see he's redeemed you. Maybe you're here and you're absolutely confused or convicted, one of the two. You've heard this and you're going, I'm not sure. Or you've heard this and go, that's me, that's my problem. I thought my problem was I just like sex. It's not that. Huh? It's that I'm trying to find satisfaction in that or in a drug or in some sin. 
and I'm going to stop it. So here you go. I, I, I was a thief who drank and did drugs and had sex. Okay, this is not about rehab. This is not about getting you to stop stealing, stop snorting, stop having sex. It's not about that. It's not about, about rehab. It's about transformation. Because you can stop all those things and still spend eternity in hell. You'll be miserable here and miserable there. You'll be miserable all the way around. It's not about that. It's about coming to Christ in repentance and faith and understanding my systemic problem is sin and the only solution is Jesus. When this service is over, if you're in the conference center or you're here in the chapel, in either one, there'll be staff people from our staff that are here and they're here to meet with you. They can answer questions now. They can meet with you later, whatever the case might be. They'll set up a time. Call us here at the church. This is the most important issue you have to deal with. This is more important than the debt. This is more important than diamondbacks. This is more important than vacation. This is more important than anything you'll ever face in your life. This is a matter of life and death. Now, if you're in the conference and you've already had communion, Paul's going to be back over there to close that. Here in the chapel, Paul's going to come out, lead us in communion. You're going to sing some songs. And as I worshiped first hour, I was just struck by how perfectly these things tie together. So as you're singing these songs today, let them be an expression, really, of a, of a heart that's been changed or transformed. If you, if God's moving you, that's what that is. If all of a sudden today, maybe for the very first time, you're kind of feeling something going on there, that's God moving you. You need to act on it and talk to these guys and gals that will be in the front of the building right afterwards. Father, thank you so much for this truth. Maybe for some of us it's even something we don't want to hear or listen to. But, God, it's a story of love. It's a story of our failure and our sin and your love, your redemption. God, I pray now that as we uh, come in, in the chapel here to a time of communion or in the conference center as we get ready to leave, that this would be a life-changing message, that your spirit would take the word, apply it to our heart, and change our life. We ask that in, in your son's precious name. Amen.